Let's open God's Word this evening to the book of 1 John. The text for tonight's sermon will be from the book of Ephesians as we continue our series, but we read God's Word in 1 John 1. We will read the whole of that chapter and a couple of verses out of chapter 2. 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. And now let's skip to chapter 2, verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. As far we read God's Word, the text for tonight's sermon is Ephesians 5, verses 8-14. through 14. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. This passage that we consider tonight is very similar to the passages we've been considering in this series going through the book of Ephesians. But yet at the same time, it's distinct. It's very similar for two reasons. First, it's similar in that what we have here is a passage 
providing us instruction with regard with regards to how we are to walk as Christians. This has been a theme in the second half of the book of Ephesians, so that in Ephesians 4, verse 1, we were told to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In verse 17 of that chapter, we were told that we should not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. In chapter 5, verse 1, rather verse 2, we were told, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And now here again, we have a similar calling. Walk as children of the light. It's giving us instruction concerning our conduct, concerning our behavior, our lives as Christians. That makes it similar to what we've seen already in the series. This passage is similar to the others. Secondly, because like all the others we've looked at, this calling to walk in a certain way is rooted and grounded in some theological truth. Before the Apostle Paul tells us to walk in as children of the light, first he tells us, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. He's taking this calling, this imperative, and tying it back to some indicative, some gospel truth. And this has been his method throughout this entire second half of the book of Ephesians so that the callings are tied back to the instruction we received in the first half. So this passage is similar. But yet it's distinct. And what makes it distinct is the specific language, the wording that we have here, the the idea, the whole concept of darkness as opposed to light. And now to be sure, this is this language is not unique in all of Scripture, for the reality is that we find this contrast between light and darkness again and again and again. We read from First John and we saw it there. What is more, it's not as though these are brand new truths that the Apostle Paul is teaching us as we will see the substance of what he has to say here in verses 8 and following. He's already taught us, but what makes this unique is the specific language that he uses, the concept, the idea that he uses, that contrast between darkness and light. And because we have that unique language here, at least unique in the book of Ephesians, I want to take a little more time looking at that Gospel truth that's presented in the first half of verse 8 before we focus on the calling that's found here. It's with all that in mind that we look at this passage using as our theme, walking as children of the light. Walking as children of the light. First, we'll look at children of the light, our identity. Second, we'll look at the primary calling, walking in the light. And third, we'll see that that includes exposing or or reproving the darkness. Children of the light, walking in the light, exposing the darkness. Before this passage calls us to walk in the light, it teaches us that we are children of the light. But before it gets to that even, it reminds us that this was not always true of us by nature. For the text begins in verse 8, For ye were 
sometimes darkness. And with that language, you were, ye were sometimes darkness, the Spirit through Paul is reminding us of our sinful past condition. And now certainly, we've already been taught about our sinful past. We were taught this back in chapter 2, verses 1-3 through three, for example, which taught us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That our walk was according to the course of the world. That we had our that we walked according to the lusts of the flesh, that we were children of wrath. It was describing our sinful past condition. And there was further instruction about this in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, for example. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, and then he goes on to elaborate in verse 12, that ye at that time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Your sinful past condition is that you were Christless, churchless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. And now, the Apostle Paul by inspiration gives us further instruction. He puts it in different terms. But it's still the same basic truth when he says, ye were in darkness. He's saying the same thing. So that really, to understand what it means to be in darkness, we we can understand it in light of those verses that we just read. But yet, we need to say more because it's not without reason that the Spirit inspired Paul to put it this way. So the question for us is, what then is this term, this idea of darkness, have to teach us about our sinful past condition. And there are three things that this term especially brings out. First, that sin is likened to darkness reminds us of the spiritually blinding character of sin. That's evident from other passages that speak this way. For example, in 1 John 2, Verse 11, at the very end of that verse that we read earlier, we read about us walking in, dark, or walking in darkness and knowing not whither He goeth, because that darkness hath blinded His eyes. We see this in Acts 26, verse 18, in which Jesus Christ is telling the Apostle Paul why He's sending the Apostle Paul to preach to the Gentiles. And He says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, so that He is connecting, opening their eyes to turning them from darkness to light. And what these passages are teaching us, that a part of the idea of darkness is that it involves spiritual blindness. And really, it's somewhat intuitive. If there is no light in a room, if it's completely dark, the main thing that we experience is the fact that we cannot see a thing. Think of the Egyptians who lived through the ninth plague. All was dark. And so much so that they could not see what was right in front of them. They could not even see one another. So much so that they did not speak with one another. Well, now Scripture is taking that idea of darkness and applying it to sin. And it's teaching us that on account of sin, a part of sin is the, the blinding character of it. Sin makes it so that we cannot see and understand spiritual things. 
so that we cannot see the truth concerning God or the truth concerning ourselves or the truth concerning Christ. That first is a part of the idea. Second, the fact that Scripture teaches us that likens sin to darkness teaches us that sin is entirely opposed to the character of God. And again, we say that in light of what we read in 1 John 1. 1 John 1 verse 5, for example, we read that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God is light in that He is the the God of holiness and righteousness and truth and goodness. And sin is the exact opposite of that. Just like light is the exact opposite of darkness, so much so that really we define darkness in terms of the absence of light, so to sin is what's opposed to the very character of God so that whereas God is those things that we just mentioned, sin's the exact opposite. Sin is unholiness. Sin is unrighteousness. And so on. And thus, what this is emphasizing is the, the depravity, the corruption of sin. It's underscoring the fact that sin is evil. That's the character of sin. And that secondly is what we learn from this language of sin being put in terms of darkness. It teaches us the blinding character of sin. It teaches us that sin is entirely opposed to God's character. And third, it teaches us that sin makes fellowship with God impossible. That's 1 John 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Part of the character of light and darkness is that you cannot mix the two. There's no blending them together. They're exact opposites. When the lights go on, it it dispels the darkness. And so it is when it comes to sin. Because our God is a holy God, because He is the God of light in whom there is no darkness, He is not going to to have fellowship with darkness so that the only possibility of us having fellowship with Him is if we are somehow brought into the light. That's the idea of this concept. And now by inspiration, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, and thus us as a church, ye were darkness. And notice how strongly he puts that. He does not say you were in the darkness, but you were darkness. It's one thing to be in darkness. That is true. The Ephesians were in the realm of darkness. They were in the kingdom of Satan and of darkness. And what is more, they they walked in darkness. Darkness characterized their whole lives so that everything they did prior to their conversion was characterized by sin. Those things are true, but yet the Spirit puts it even stronger. He says, you were darkness. This was your 
identity. This is who you were so that it's not just that you were in the darkness, but really the darkness was inside of you. It characterized every part of you. Your heart, your mind, your will, your soul, your affections. And that's what we learn, for example, from Romans 1, verse 21. Where the Apostle speaks of those who were in darkness because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Dark, darkness characterized their very heart. And it's with that in mind that the Apostle Paul says here, not simply you were in darkness, but you were darkness. And if we ask, well, how did they get that way? Not because God created man this way. God created man good. He created man in His own image. To put it in the language of the text, God put light into man, inside of man. But then, man fell. And the light within went out. Darkness came upon mankind. Adam became dark by nature. And he passed that on to all of his descendants so that the Apostle Paul now addresses the Ephesians saying, you were darkness. That's their sinful past condition. But now notice, he speaks of that in the past. You were darkness. But not anymore. And that's the good news of the Gospel that's presented in this passage. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is making a, a clear, sharp contrast here. And certainly the, the heart of the contrast is between the two nouns. Darkness. Light. Notice the, the other parts of it. Notice the verbs. You were. Ye are. You were darkness. Past tense. That's what was true of you. But then he adds... Are ye, that is, ye are light. This is what's true in the present. This is a present tense. And then to strengthen that, he adds the adverbs on top of that. Sometimes, now. Sometimes, that is, in past times. Previously, formerly. That's the idea of that word. In contrast, there's the now. There's what's true at this moment, at this present time. And he's He's lining these up to emphasize the contrast. Darkness, light. Ye were, ye are. Sometimes, now. And this is not the first time He's made such a sharp contrast. Again, He's done this before. This is not altogether new theology that He's teaching us. He's just putting it in two different terms. He did this back in chapter 2 after teaching them that you were dead in trespasses and sins, you were by nature children of wrath, he adds, but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He's made us alive. 
Same thing in Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12, after telling them you were Christless, churchless, friendless, hopeless, godless. Verse 13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The Spirit inspired Paul to consistently use the past tense when talking about their their sinful past. And then he adds the, the truth of the Gospel, but thanks be to God that there's been this work of grace in your heart and life. So that the, the emphasis, the whole point in this contrast is to highlight the power of God's transforming grace. That's the point. And oh, how the Apostle Paul glories in this. We see this pattern. He uses it again and again and again because it thrills his soul. Because he sees what God's grace did for him. One who was darkness, but who's been made light. He's seen the the difference that God's grace has made in his life, and he, he rejoices to see that this is true for others. That this is true of the saints to whom he went and preached at Ephesus. You were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light. But now what explains that? How is this possible? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us. Text reads, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. He does it again. Really, he never fails to do it, does he? The Apostle Paul reminds us that all of the blessings of salvation that come to us come only as those who are in Christ, united to Jesus Christ. And if we had thought that perhaps he's taught us this truth enough times already so that he does not need to insert it again and again and again, we were wrong. Because once again, when setting forth some truth of the Gospel, he adds those words, in the Lord, in union with Him. That's the explanation for how we who were sometimes darkness are now made light. It happens in the Lord. Because Jesus Christ is the light. That's the teaching of Scripture. Christ Himself told us, I am the light of the world. He that followeth Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In harmony with that, John tells us at the beginning of his Gospel account that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And that's true because He he is the God of light in whom there is no darkness. He is the One who is holy, righteous, and true, and good. And now it's as the light of the world that He accomplished our salvation. 
He came into this world to rescue us from the darkness and to give us light and life. How did He accomplish this? Well, by allowing Himself the light to be subjected to darkness. And now here we use darkness in a slightly different sense of the word. Scripture uses the word darkness to refer to sin, but it also speaks of darkness when it talks about God's wrath. And that's what we have in view at this moment in the sermon. The light subjected Himself to the darkness. And that He went to the cross of Calvary. Allowed Himself to be crucified on that accursed tree. And then God Himself turned out the lights as a picture, as a symbol of the fact that His judgment for sin against sin was upon His only begotten Son. And a part of the wonder of the cross is that though the light of the world was enveloped in darkness, though the light of the world was drinking in darkness as it were as He drank the cup of God's wrath, the light was not extinguished. The light did not go out. But Jesus Christ endured all of it until the very end so that He could say, it is finished. Every drop of the judgment that we deserve on account of our sins, He endured it all. And though it's true, He gave up the ghost and allowed His body to be buried so that for a time no one could see the light of the world. Nevertheless, He emerged from that darkness too. And He emerged with a a greater brilliance, a greater radiance than He had before. And that He emerged with His resurrected body, that transformed, that glorified body. And it's as the One who has conquered sin and death that He is now able to give us His light and His life. And now it's as those who are in Jesus Christ that we are made light That's the good news that's being taught here when it says, but now are ye light in the Lord. Ye are light. Yes, that includes that we've been brought into light. It includes the truth of Colossians 1, verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. This includes 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that He's called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. But the truth of this passage is more than that we've been brought into the light. It's telling us ye are light. This is your new identity in Jesus Christ. The light has been put inside of you. It's within you. And that's expressed quite beautifully in 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He shined the light into our hearts so that whereas before there was spiritual blindness, whereas before there was a nature that was entirely opposed to God and it was impossible for us to have fellowship with God, He's enlightened us. He's given us a a new identity, a new man. We're new creatures in Jesus Christ. We have a part of us that now loves God. And as those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we can now have fellowship with the God of light. And how does this happen? What's the end of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6? They have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And is it any surprise that the Apostle Paul would put it that way? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's no surprise at all when we remember what happened to Him. Walk with Him on that road to Damascus. Walk with Him as He leaves Jerusalem as one who was darkness. There was nothing good in Him. And that darkness manifests itself in the fact that He was ever breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. But what happens to Him when He gets close to Damascus? He saw a great light. A light far more glorious, far more radiant than anything He had ever seen. And then He heard a voice speak to Him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou Me? And what does Saul say in response? Who art thou, O Lord? Whose face is that? From whence comes this radiance, this glory, this splendor? Who art thou, O light? To which the response came, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. In beholding that great light, the Apostle Paul was beholding the face of Jesus Christ. And it was in that moment that the light of God was shined, shone into his heart. And he was transformed so that he who was darkness was made light in the face of Jesus Christ. And so it is for us. To be sure, we will never in this life see Jesus Christ in that way. 
But we do see Him as He's revealed, as He's set forth on the pages of Scripture, as He's declared to us through the preaching of the Gospel. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ as those who are united to Christ that we who were sometimes darkness are now light. So will we not walk as children of the light? That's the calling. And we see how it's grounded in the the Gospel truth that's been set forth at the beginning of verse 8. Ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Walk according to your new identity. Be who you are. That's the calling that comes to us. There's been a radical transformation that's taken place with inside of you by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God's grace. And now that's to manifest itself so that there's a drastic change in the way that we live our lives as Christians compared to what that life would be if we were not Christians. Walk as children of the light. That's the calling. And now we're given further instruction as to what that looks like. The end of verse 8 tells us the calling, walk as children of light. Verse 9 adds, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. It's telling us this is what walking as children of the light looks like. It, It means walking in goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, first of all. Goodness is the the broadest of these three terms. Really, it embraces all manner of virtues. It's the exact opposite of walking in all malice as was mentioned back in chapter 4, verse 31. And it has the idea of being so filled with goodness that we now do good unto others. And not out of a heart of love for one another. Walk in the light means walk in goodness. That's the general. Then two specifics, two particulars are added. Righteousness. Righteousness refers to our deeds, what we do. We're to walk in harmony with God's law, His commandments. We're to walk on that pathway that He set out before us, the pathway of righteousness. Not deviating to the right, not going off to the left, but continuing to serve Him. And then the Spirit adds, and truth. Not speaking the lie, but letting all of our words be in harmony with reality. Being faithful, dependable, reliable as God's people. And sometimes this involves seeking to know what is most pleasing to our God. Main thing here is walk as children of the light, but notice verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And that word proving is not going with verse 9. The King James rightly puts verse 9 in parentheses so that verse 10 is linked back to verse 8. Walk as children of light. How? Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And the idea of that word 
proving is trying to discern. Seeking to find out. And when it speaks of that which is acceptable, the idea is that which is pleasing unto God. That which is going to glorify God so that when you put it together, it's saying that as Christians, as God's people, we need to be asking the question, what is it that's going to be most pleasing to my God? We're to try to find that out to determine that in the the need for this is because while there are many things that are black and white from a, a moral point of view, it's obviously right or obviously wrong, there are other things that are not quite so clear. We, we speak of gray areas somewhere between the, lightness, the light and the darkness. And it's with that category in mind that verse 10 comes to us saying, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Seeking to determine what's pleasing to Him. So that as we go down life's pathway, as we encounter different scenarios, different circumstances, we step back and we say, how can I most glorify my God in this? What is it that's going to be pleasing unto Him? That's the idea of verse 10. And all of that is the positive calling of the text. Walk as children of the light. But now, along with that positive that we've considered in the first half of this second point, there's a, a negative that we also need to consider as a part of this second point. And that's verse 11. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, we see the two-sided character of the Christian life. It involves not only pursuing and cultivating godliness, but it includes avoiding and even reproving ungodliness. And that's the calling here. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Have no fellowship means Do not be a partaker of those things. Do not join others in their sins. And understand that that means for us that we're not to have fellowship with either the the works of darkness nor the workers of darkness. Both are in view here. This passage is forbidding fellowship with the works of darkness. That's really the emphasis in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Do not pursue that sinful lifestyle. And if we ask, well, what works of darkness? Well, he's already told us some of them in the the previous passage that we consider. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 mentions fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. Those are works of darkness. Do not walk in them. Have no fellowship with them. Don't partake in them. But it's broader than that. It includes all works of hatred. And we say that because of what we read in 1 John 2, verses 9 and following. 
He that saith he is the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness. A part of the, the works of darkness, the, the pathway of darkness is hatred of the brother. And are we not prone and inclined to that? How much hatred is in our heart toward the people who are closest to us? Toward our spouse? Toward our parents? Toward our brother or sister? Whether by blood, that is physical blood, or whether by the blood of Jesus Christ. It takes many different forms. Resentment, bitterness, anger. All of that is a part of walking in darkness. The works of darkness. And this passage says, have no fellowship. Do not become a partaker of those sinful deeds. But now not only is this forbidding fellowship with the works of darkness, it's forbidding fellowship with the workers of darkness. And that's really what was especially in view back in verse 7. Be ye, referring to the children of disobedience just before that, it says, be ye not therefore partakers with them, with the children of disobedience. Don't join them in their sin. Same truth taught in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath Light with darkness. These passages are teaching us that friendship with the world is enmity against God. We cannot have our lives wrapped up with the wicked world and expect to still have fellowship with our God. No fellowship with the works of unrighteousness darkness or the workers of darkness. And for good reason. There's multiple reasons given here. First, because such works are unfruitful. It's part of the reason. Verse 11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. They're unfruitful in the sense that they have no value. Nothing good comes from them. Yes, there might be a moment of pleasure, but how fleeting. There's no true good. There's no true benefit. Because these works of darkness do not give glory to God. They're not a witness to those around us. They bring no joy with them. They're unfruitful. And that's reason to have no fellowship with them. Second, the reason is that they're shameful. That's verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. It speaks of doing these things in secret. It's part of the characteristic of darkness. It wants to stay out of view. 
Darkness wants to hide itself from the light. So it operates behind closed doors when no one else is looking. Because it recognizes that there's shame. There's a sense of guilt associated with doing these things so that if others somehow knew about what I was doing, I would be ashamed of it. Or at least I ought to be ashamed of it. And now so shameful are these deeds that not only is it shameful if we got caught in them, but the passage goes a step further. It's shameful even to speak of them. Verse 12 says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. There are some things that are so vile, so grievous, that they're not appropriate even to mention from the pulpit. To even talk about them would cause us to blush. These works of unrighteousness are shameful. They bring with them guilt and that's added reason not to walk in them. To avoid partaking of these sins. But though part of the reason is they're unfruitful, part of it they're shameful, the main reason is the central truth of the text that they are entirely contrary to our identity in Christ. Ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light. Walk as children of the light. Why would you go back to the darkness? Why would you live as though you were still in that darkness and the darkness was still in you? It's entirely contrary to our identity in Jesus Christ. The fact that we've been given light and life in Him. Christ has enlightened us. And we are to live accordingly. And that must be true in every phase, in every aspect of life, whether someone is watching or not. And we need to be reminded of that. Because there's a great danger that though we put on the outward appearance of being children of the light in secret, we walk in darkness. That is what others see of us. Sometimes, sadly, is very different from the life that we live when no one else is watching. Is that you? Is that me? Are we living double lives right now? It ought not be. Because we're now children of the light. And therefore, we are to walk in that light.
Now there's one more aspect to this calling that comes to us. Main positive calling, walk as children of light. The negative aspect of that is have no fellowship with the works of unrighteousness. And we might, if we ended there, we might be left to improperly conclude, well, does that mean I need to get out of the darkness altogether? Does that mean I need to live as a hermit and avoid any sort of contact with the the dark world of sin around us? And the answer is no. Because in addition to the positive calling, walk as children in the light, the negative calling to have no fellowship with darkness, there's also the calling to expose the darkness. To reprove the darkness. And that's the truth we want to end with. It comes out at the very end of verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And the idea of that word reprove is to convict of error or fault. It's to, to cause another to, to see and understand their sin. And in light of the context, it's clear that we are to do this reproving, this convincing of error, by shining a light on that sin and error. By exposing it, uncovering it from the darkness that it would otherwise hide in. And this is something we're to do both by our lives and by our Word. We're to do this with our lives and how we live. That's Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christ is the light. And a part of the good news of the Gospel that we've seen tonight is that He makes us to be light bearers. And now a part of that means we are to shine as lights in the midst of this dark world. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, so too we who are God's people are to reflect something of the the brightness, the radiance, the glory of Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives so that others can see it. So that there's a clear distinction between the way the Christian lives and the way the the non-Christian lives. So much so that the non-Christian cannot help but notice it. And maybe so much so that he begins to become uncomfortable with it. Because after all, you're a light and he's still in darkness. Our lives are to do that. They are to reprove the darkness. Expose the darkness. But not only are we to do this with our lives, we're to do this by our Word. It's part of the idea of reproving. It's talking about our speech. So that as we have opportunity, when God gives us an occasion, we we speak out against the darkness. Being willing to call sin for what it is, sin. And now certainly not in a self-righteous or judgmental manner. Not in a sense of arrogance or a condemning way. But with meekness. Gentleness. Long-suffering. 
reproving the darkness, shining a light upon it by our words. And our purpose, so that others might be brought to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That they might be brought to repentance. That they might know their sin as sin. And that's a part of the passage. Verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. This is a particularly difficult verse to understand. But to put it simply, the first half, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. It's saying that it's the light that exposes, that that shows sin to be sin. It's the light that helps others to see that this is wrong. This is disobedience against the God of heaven and earth. So that in the end, they reach that same conclusion. And that's the second half. For whatsoever doth make manifest or is made manifest is light. And now, light at the very end of verse 13 is being used in a slightly different way in the sense of it's plain. It's visible. You can see it. See it for what it is as sin. And it's saying that we are to reprove and expose the works of darkness so that others come to know their sin. And this is so important because sinful man, us included, are very good at convincing ourselves that this thing, it's really not that bad. And that thing, it's okay. And thus, we need the light to shine upon that so that we come to see and know our sin, so that others come to see and know their sin. And then our prayer is that they also come to see and know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That He would illuminate their hearts as He has illuminated our hearts. And that's our hope in light of the encouragement of verse 14. Verse 14, Wherefore He saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's evident that the Apostle Paul is quoting here. He begins, Wherefore He saith. Now there's considerable debate about what exactly he is quoting. Because when we take these words, and when we look for them in the Old Testament, we do not find a passage that lines up perfectly with them. And so it's evident he's not quoting one particular passage from the Old Testament. But I maintain he is still quoting from the Old Testament. He's simply taking bits and pieces and and bringing it all together. He's grabbing a piece out of Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake, awake! Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. He he grabs another piece from Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for the light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And he he draws from others and he, he puts it all together to say in verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So we've explained where he's quoting from. 
But now how are we to understand what He actually says? Because it might strike us as, well, I wouldn't put it that way. Verse 14, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It it almost sounds as though someone has to regenerate himself before Christ gives him light. But obviously that cannot be the meaning. The rest of Scripture makes it plain, clear. That's not the idea of the text that man must somehow give himself new life before Christ shines a light. But instead, the point is to emphasize the calling and the responsibility that comes to man. Really, this passage is saying the same thing that Christ Himself says in John 12, verse 36. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be children of the light. And now the encouragement is that Christ will indeed give light. Awake, arise, and Christ shall give thee light. That's an encouragement for any who are still in darkness. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. And God will likewise shine in your hearts and give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's encouragement for us who are in the light to let our light so shine before men. To reprove the darkness. To expose the darkness. To be a witness unto others. Trusting in this very verse that Christ shall give light. He will use our witness, our words spoken even in weakness to call others out of darkness and into His marvelous light. May that indeed be an encouragement for us to so walk as children of the light. Amen. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the Word of the Gospel that we have heard tonight and for the truth of Scripture taught all throughout that by the power of Thy grace Thou hast taken us out of darkness and made us light Grant us grace now to walk accordingly, to be who we are, to live according to our new identity. And hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.